morning and welcome to the Morning Coffee Podcast show. Hope you're having a great Easter and a good Easter Monday. And uh, we have beautiful weather up here. It's sunny. It's even a bit of frost, like a bit of uh, ice on the windows. Uh, but it's going to be a, like just a splendid day up here now. And we have two things to talk about today. Uh, one is a bit more of the Hebrew numbers and then also about the book we've been reading uh, the last week and that we finished and we're going to make a, a book review later today on the science podcast and uh, we're just going to say very briefly some thoughts about that one. So, uh, and also of course, hope you're having a great coffee. Uh, we are still at the first cup up here. So um, that's the important part of the morning. And then if we just jump into the Hebrew numbers first. So we had in the last two episodes, we went through number one to five and then five to ten. So just to recap with uh, like the one is the unity. And then, for example, like four is earth is an important one. Five is the grace. And then you have seven for perfection and ten for four is the complete number. It's also the divine order. It's also kind of why you have ten. Uh, the number ten in the stories of, of Moses is important. So we're going to just pick a couple of numbers now between ten and forty. And we're going to keep it a bit short. Uh, this little book is fantastic. So if anyone's interested, it's called The Biblical Num Meaning of Numbers from 1 to 40 by Dr. Stephen E. Jones. So after we have number 10, we get to number 11, which is the Yod Aleph. So Yod is then again, um, this the nail, the connection, or the workings. And uh, the, you, now you start combining this with, like you take the, the, the letter or the, uh, the number and the letter 10 with the number one, Aleph, which is the first one. So then that's how you, you put it together. And then you start getting more um, more meaning through having two symbols combined. This is more like a symbolic language again, like something like Chinese, for example, where you put two, two symbols together and then you get yet another meaning. So the number 11 stands for imperfection, disorder, and incompleteness. So uh, you have then... Like the, this is the, the hand, the outworking of the strength, but in this sense, it also means a disorder. And then it also says here that it's connected to, to humans again, like man's work apart from the divine is imperfect and out of order. So it ultimately comes to disintegration. Very important point there. It goes kind of, that it comes after the 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 divine order of number 10 and then the 11 is then more connected to humans and then it will disintegrate because it's it's uh, it's made in <laughs> just it's made by humans and then uh, since uh, uh, just by nature that would would be uh, an effort that will it's kind of is doomed to fail in the long run so uh, yeah there are several uh, examples here of number 11 Num number 12 jump to that one so Yod Beith. So Beith, Beit is the house again. So this stands for governmental perfection and authority. So number 12 is everywhere in especially the biblical stories and both the old one and the new ones. And uh, uh, also then it says here uh, yeah, in the last the last part of the stories with the revelation even but then you can also think of the 12 tribes the main thing you have 12 tribes of israel the 12 sons of jacob or israel and then you also have the 12 apostles in the new testament so this stands for governmental perfection and authority and then we're just going to jump to number 15 which is a nice one because it's like seven is perfection and then uh, uh if you had an eight is new beginning 
So 15 is new direction. And this is then like you have double of, of the perfection. And then after that one, after 14, then you get something new, which is then a new direction. And it's, it's the Yod and Hey, so it stands for the outworking of the grace, the outworking of the inspiration of the spirit. Uh, and it gives us a new direction in life. So it's a kind of a, one, one more of these more creative uh, symbolic meanings of the number is then in the 15. And, um, and there's so many examples here of, of something, like one thing that comes back in this little book we're reading here is that uh, every time a name is mentioned in these stories, the number, like the, the time it is mentioned has a very important significance. So then um, it's like the 15th time that Isaac is mentioned. That's one thing. The 15th time with uh, Noah is mentioned or Abraham or uh, with also um, here again. Uh, so yeah, Jacob yeah, and there's a long list there of David as well. And it's all then connected to the concept of a new direction. And then we're just going to jump, so that's 15, which is just an inspiring one. And we're going to jump to 24 and 40. Those are the two last ones. So 24 is then the double of 12. So when the 12 is, is a governmental perfection, the double one is the number of priesthood, because that is then meant to be the spiritual uh, government. So here is also then... Um, so it alludes to the government of priesthood rather than the political government of the kings. So that's number 24. And then we're going to spend a little bit more time on the last one, number 40. Because 40 is, is important with 40 years, 40 days. And 40 means... So it means water flowing. It also means chaos. And it means trial, probation, and also the end of a trial. So it's... it's closely connected to the concept of testing and kind of chaos and testing, like the 40 years in wilderness. So uh, it also connects here with eight is the number of new beginnings. So 40 is the combination of eight and five, and then eight is new beginnings, five is the grace. So if you combine them, then you see that the, the grace period that comes after the trial, like at the, at the end point of 40. So... Um, you have 40 years in the wilderness and then you have 40 days. So uh, Moses is 40 days on the mount when he, he gets uh, when he gets the commandments for the first time. Uh, he's also then 40 days up on the mount after the, the golden calf. You have uh, 40 days of Elijah. You have 40 days of Ezekiel. And uh, you also have 40 days of temptation in the newer biblical stories. So that is the... The, both the spiritual and the symbolic meaning of the number 40. So we just briefly touched upon now the numerology of the ancient Hebrew, and it it's a very helpful perspective to keep in mind when if you try to read and interpret older stories. This was also in the medieval times was important. Like in Dante's comedy, this it's full of of significance with the numbers, especially number three and number uh, three and number nine and number ten and also seven and eight. So um, this this was kind of automatically interpreted by many people in the older kind of the ancient times and also in the medieval times and up to the Renaissance in many ways. So that's uh, that will conclude our little uh, brief little introduction to 
the Hebrew numbers, the Hebrew letters, and the symbolic interpretation or significance of them. So we're just now going to have um, maybe just a minute more about uh, the book we're reading. So we, we finished reading. So again, shifting gears over to the book by Stephen Meyer called Darwin's Doubt. And it, it's it been a really great read. It's about 450 pages. He goes through, just to recap the, the main argument very quickly. So Darwin had his theory and one of the tenets of it is that everything changes by random mutations. But then there is a huge problem with the time frame that from just within the last 600 million years, the first 3 billion years, you only had one-celled animals. So you just had these algae and kind of one different versions of a one-celled animal for 3 billion years. And then 600 million years ago, it starts to change. You get little sponges, for example, with with five different types of cell in one organism. And then about 500 million years, very roughly, 530 million years ago, you get this Cambrian explosion with just a huge variety of different life forms with the trilobites and all different kinds of very pre ancient prehistoric uh, kind of insect, the beetle-like uh, creatures. So the argument is that uh, this complete randomness doesn't fit the time frame. There should be more intermediary life forms between the the sponges and the one-celled and the trilobites and all the different variations that suddenly came. And there are two main things here. Like one thought 150 years ago that one would find more fossils that would kind of fill in the gaps of kind of the missing intermediary steps, but that has not happened. What did happen especially with one big find in uh, British Columbia in Canada and one in southern China, is that you just found even more uh, fantastic variation in this sudden Cambrian explosion. Uh, so it kind of made the mystery just even bigger. So that's one part of the argument. The other one is the discovery of the DNA, the structure of the DNA, especially then from 1953 with kind of the, the whole um, uh, helix structure and then the kind of the digital coding with the four for bases in the DNA, which is so sophisticated and complicated that just some random atoms changing or parts of a DNA changing will again, if it's just complete by trying to test like a, a giant uh, a bike clock or something, it just doesn't fit the time frame. And he ends the book with saying that if you look at this whole process over 600 million years from the first cell and until today, you look at these different stages and these sudden eruptions of creative kind of stages where you get new life forms, new body plants, especially which is kind of a key element of the whole argument. Um, they come suddenly come and then they start uh, creating kind of they, <laughs> you have variety over the new body plants, like in technology. Like suddenly we have cars and then you have lots of different cars. Then someone invents the plane and then you get a lot of different planes. But it's not like a car and a train mutates into an airplane. So that's uh, kind of one example of the model that shows that the evolution of life is more similar to a design process, like a design plan, than complete random changes in the DNA both because the process would look different and because it doesn't fit the time frame. So that's all the book says. It doesn't go into what, that, like how, why there is a design process. It's just 
looks at the facts and says, if you have to choose between total randomness or uh, that it uh, admit that it looks like a design plan, then uh, that's kind of the, the starting point. And then one can ponder from there, like why, why there is. And there's also maybe one last element about um, like information and representation of information. Like if you look, if you see a sign with some letters on it that says something, that originates in the mind of somebody, like some person was sitting and, and <laughs> writing those letters <laughs> to put on the sign. Or if you, um, I mean, if you have like writing on a t-shirt or or anywhere, or like obviously if you read a book, but then everywhere you have organized information transmitting some something that is kind of organized, it originates in a mind. That's also part of the argument. So when you see that the DNA that is so sophisticated, <laughs> then it's kind of that. Uh, the idea is that it comes from some sort of a mind or some kind of an intelligence, but we have no idea wha what, but it just p points it out and then says that this is a, a great place to start further inquiries and research. Okay, so we're going to stop this one here. We're going to do a bit more uh, kind of detailed walkthrough of the book uh, a bit later today with a book review on the science podcast, Cosmology and Science. So with that, uh, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're still having a great day and a great morning and a good cup of coffee and a good Easter. And uh, see you again uh, in another episode.